Welcome to Plain Talk. Plain Talk has a new podcast every two weeks with up-to-date information about aviation technologies for general and business aviation. From home to cockpit to boardroom to personal tech, Plain Talk provides informative information for pilots, industry insiders, and aviation enthusiasts alike. My name is Phil Lightstone. I'm a general aviation pilot with over 1,900 hours in my logbook, flying almost every week with over 30 years experience in the technology and aviation industries. Would I would uh, just like to introduce and welcome Bob Connors, General Manager, the Waterloo-Wellington Flight School in scenic Kitchener-Waterloo, uh, to the uh, Plain Talk cockpit. Hey, Bob, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for chatting with me. Absolutely, uh, my pleasure. We're going to, I guess, talk about the adoption of electric aircraft into flight schools. And correct me if I'm wrong, aren't you folks one of the larger flight schools in Canada? Yeah, we're one of the largest in the, in the top five, I would say. Why don't we, uh, you know, give the Plain Talk audience a little background about your flight school? Sure. Um, we started out as a, a flying club in 1932 and pretty traditional. For a long time, we were part of the uh, Royal Canadian Flying Clubs uh, Association. In the 60s, we moved from the original grass strip on the north end of Waterloo to the new airport at, uh, in Breslau, which is just off, off the Kitchener uh, town. And we've been there ever since. And over the last 40 years, we've sort of morphed more to being a professional flight school. We still have uh, fun flyers, recreational. People still get private licenses. But it's not a flying club in the uh, traditional sense of uh, the word anymore. We're partnered with uh, the University of Waterloo and Conestoga College. And we also offer programs for individuals who want to be professional pilots as career changers, for example. So that's that's about 60% of what we do. And 40% is community serving the, the recreational fun flyer uh, community, helping people to get their PPL and so on. Correct me if I'm wrong. Everybody starts getting their PPL. Well, yes. The difference is that most of our students now come in with the intention of uh, becoming a professional pilot, going straight through to commercial multi-IFR. And you have a pretty large fleet of uh, diverse uh, aircraft. Yeah, we have uh, 32 airplanes at uh, last count, uh, three, uh, three twin Piper Seminoles, and uh, about 20 uh, Cessnas, 152s, 172s, a pair of Piper Arrows, and three DA-40s, uh, Diamond, the composite airplane. Wow, that's quite the, the uh, lead. So kind of curious as we, you know, re- as we talk about the migration to electric vehicles, not that electric, electric vehicles are a new thing. If we think about it from a car perspective in 1898, Ferdinand Porsche of Porsche Automotive Company developed an electric car called the P1. And then in 1914, Henry Ford and Thomas Edison collaborated to uh, explore the options of a low-cost 
electric car, move forward into this century. Of course, we see all the major automotive manufacturers building electric uh, vehicles, and most notably Tesla, who has have no fossil fuel powered cars. We start to look into the the move to electric aircraft, uh, EVs, to lack of for lack of a better term. I'm kind of curious, what does that electric aircraft world look like from from your perspective? Well, I guess for starters, you'd have to say it's still fairly early in its development, but uh, there is lots of activity happening uh, with uh, light aircraft that could be used either in the light sport category in the U.S. There's lots of activity in Europe, and there's a growing amount of activity in the United States. There are a few schools in Canada that are quite interested in being able to experiment with how practical the electric aircraft might be in a flight training context. And I see just down the road from you in in London, Diamond Aircraft has been looking at and doing some serious R&D into electric aircraft. Going back to their DA-36 E-Star, June of 20. 2013, and now working on a, a, a DA-40 uh, E-Star, which hopefully they'll have in the air uh, by the end of the year sometime. Yes, they, they certainly are uh, doing that. And as, a, as an established uh, vendor in the, in the uh, training aircraft uh, space, that probably uh, you know, augurs well for them to be able to bring something to market. The, the other one that we've been looking at is Pipistrel from Europe, and it has recently been acquired by Textron. So that may be a, a fairly significant change in the game with respect to Pipistrel's ability to come to a market in the training field. So do you see a day when all your 172s and 150s are replaced with either DA-40 uh, electric or the uh, uh, Pipistrel electric aircraft? I think that's a ways off. The, the major challenge is uh, battery life and payload. So right now, the, the best they're doing is about an hour's flight time, and uh, some of them are less than that. And there's not the ground infrastructure either for uh, recharging. So... There's a ways to go before uh, we have the infrastructure and the uh, technology of the battery that enables it to be a practical uh, cross-country machine, for example. I guess from a flight uh, training unit, PPL, into the commercial programs, uh, as you said, the cross-country element is the, the limitation until s- such time that they have more more duration in the batteries, but probably perfect uh, for the other elements of, of both the, the P- PPL, IFR, multi-IFR, you know, et cetera. Also uh, make note of the pesky fossil fuel challenges with 100 low lead, cost, availability, environmental uh, impacts. I guess like anything, do you, do you see a world where they smart folks just determine the infrastructure and bring capital 
to bear to deal with these, uh, excuse the pun, uh, speed bumps? Well, in terms of the ground infrastructure, uh, the Waterloo Airport has uh, indicated that they're interested in working with us and, and others to uh, install uh, charging stations and that sort of thing on the air side. And I, I don't have any doubt that there would be some of that, but it's research or experimental until you have enough scale to make it commercially viable. I know I'm repeating myself, but I think we've got a few years before we have a critical mass to make this uh, worthwhile. In terms of the training value, uh, the Pipistrol fits into the light sport category in the U.S. Transport is looking at what to do uh, in Canada with uh, something equivalent to the light sport in, uh, in both uh, the uh, conventional gas engines as, as well now as looking at the uh, electrified version of Pipistrol. So I think there's there's a lot of effort going on to look at how this could be incorporated. And certainly from an environmental uh, carbon footprint, all of that sort of stuff, uh, that's a, you know, a major attraction and a major benefit if we can uh, reduce the, uh, the carbon emissions from uh, flight training. I'm curious about, you know, the economics of doing of doing this uh, clearly on the surface 100 low lead where i fly is now well north of three dollars uh, a liter uh, whereas um, you know we haven't seen quite the hit on the electrification side you know from a capital perspective with 32 airplanes can you guys afford to sell all of them and buy all brand new electric airplanes uh, right now, it looks like the Pipistrol, which is the only one that I really know about, is about the same price point as a similarly sized gas aircraft. So in terms of the capital cost, there's not going to be a major saving there. On the operating side, obviously, there's no uh, fossil fuel. And three bucks, three bucks a liter is, is a pretty fair price point these days. So I, I think uh, there's that saving. But there's the battery charging and the battery life. So after so many cycles, the battery needs to, may need to be replaced. And the cost of that is uncertain at this point in time. Similar to the TBO uh, on the um, fossil fuel uh, engine side, right. where uh, certainly private pilots will have a, you know, have a reserve fund, X dollars per per hour for that big capital right. expenditure balloon day? Yeah, I, I think for me right now, I, w I wouldn't try and market it or promote it based on massive operational savings. The capital cost is the same. There's some cost with the uh, electric motor and with the batteries, most of which is unknown. And our interest is in part seeing how the battery uh, would uh, live up to Ontario conditions, especially in the wintertime. So we're interested in being part of a proposed transport uh, experiment, if you will, to uh, trial uh, one of them. And there's another school who's further ahead than we are in, uh, in Saint-Hubert uh, that is looking at doing a, a similar kind of comparison about the, the operating characteristics. 
Are you collaborating with uh, the Saint Hubert folks? We're, uh, we, uh, I mean, we know them, and uh, we have a general idea about what they're up to. They are further ahead than we are, so collaborating is probably a strong word, but certainly watching with interest and uh, looking for the opportunity to be kept up to date with what they find out. Do you think that from a commercial pro-pilot perspective that, let's say, in a future world where they've done all their training on electric aircraft and then get their first pro gig at, uh, let's say, Porter flying turbines, do you think they'll be challenged with making that, uh, that jump? Uh, I'm honestly not sure. I think uh, last week or the week before, I was at a conference in the in the states uh, called Watts, the World Airline Trading Symposium, and there was a, a a lot of talk about eVTOL aircraft. So they're the ones that we saw at the conference are uh, hybrid, a vertical takeoff, and then con uh, convert uh, to uh, more conventional aircraft once they're airborne. And it, it carries uh, four, four people. It's truly air taxi, four people and a single pilot. So that's pretty exciting if they can still the, the weight of the batteries. They've got it up to 150 mile range. And the, uh, the one device is actually flying in, uh, in California. So I think that there's that as a development. And you probably know that uh, Harbor Air Services in Vancouver, Victoria, has uh, electrified a beaver. And uh, there are other airline category aircraft that are being experimented with, with retrofitting electric uh, motors for the uh, gas or, or turbines. Yeah, and I think to your point, Harbor Air has been uh, running them for a few years now. Uh, it should have a lot of operational history and experience under their under their belt. And good good to hear that Transport Canada is on top of it. And just to uh, switch gears a little bit, one thing we keep hearing in the news is all about this pesky pilot shortage. Uh, the pesky pilot shortage is back in spades. In Canada, the all the furloughed pilots from COVID have been recalled, and uh, some of the major airlines have uh, brought in a class or two off the street, not, not brand new off the street, but from other carriers to train to meet their needs. And everybody's talking about uh, not having enough staff of all sorts, but pilots uh, from my interest point in particular. The net result of that is we're back to all of the uh, lower level carriers, including flight schools, uh, having their staff, instructors in our case, given many opportunities to move up very quickly. So the challenge for us is how do we keep good instructional staff and make sure that our, our quality of uh, delivery uh, uh, is uh, sustainable. By the summertime, we will be right back to where we were in 2019. I always thought that it was a bit of a dichotomy as I went through the, the program and the sense that I had with my instructors as they were pretty much flying for food based upon their compensation package and earning abilities, 
especially as you pointed out, with the Canadian winter and weather getting in the way of, of ours. Do you think that this is really going to right-size instructors' compensations, uh, as well as first officers and captains in the, in the second-tier airlines? Yeah, it's already having an impact. Uh, we have more full-time salary-based instructors now than we've ever had. Uh, we work hard to uh, make sure that even our hourly uh, instructors uh, have enough work so that they can reliably make uh, a, li- a livable income. That's got to be pretty challenging and, and good for you guys to break the mold. We're just doing what we need to do to uh, keep people uh, in, in our place and happy with the instruction role. And uh, we're, we're lucky we have about 15 or so what I refer to as lifers. They, for lifestyle or personal or, or uh, preference, are staying in flight training. And hopefully they'll stay in flight training with uh, WWFC. You know, to the investment into people, but also um, infrastructure, you guys have some very cool all-sim simulators, if I recall. Yeah, we have two all-sims, uh, an ALX, which we've had for coming on 10 years, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, and then we have an AL250 that we got about a year and a half ago. And uh, we have a, a shopping list of, of additional sims, uh, different kinds of airplanes that we uh, are contemplating acquiring over the next year or two. Oh, wonderful. Glad to hear that life is, uh, is well at, at the flight school. And I would be remiss to remind folks that they're adjoining the flight school in the same building. There's a really wonderful restaurant. Right. It's, it's a great place for the $500 hamburger. Yeah, I, sadly, I do remember the, the days of like 81 cents a liter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and to your earlier point about the, the fuel prices being temporary, when was the last time you saw gas go down? So what's on the horizon at the, at the flight school? Well, I, I am personally quite intrigued by these EV dolls, and I'm going to look into that. As a matter of fact, I'm headed to uh, ATAC meetings in Ottawa uh, as we speak. One of the things that we're going to talk about with transport is what they're doing with uh, with that file and uh, to follow the Americans or, or do something else. So that's of interest. I mentioned SIMS. And we want we already do uh, multi-crew coordination for our integrated ATP program. We're looking at uh, ramping that up uh, to being even more rigorous, sort of loosely modeled on what's uh, required in the ASA now. So I, I guess I would say that we're looking much more globally in terms of what we should do and uh, the kinds of uh, services or content we should offer. The, groups and organizations that we should uh, look to emulate. Any final words for the Plain Talk audience? Well, just that uh, give a plug to our Girls Can Can Fly event, which happened this past Saturday of uh, May the 14th. We gave rides uh, along with the uh, COPA 26 uh, group to over 300 girls. And we had about 1,500 people through through the place first in-person live event that we've had since uh, 2019. So 
it felt really good to be back and the uh, kids uh, had a great time. Wow, that's super awesome. Well, Bob, thank you so much for being part of Plain Talk. Oh, you're most welcome. Chat again sometime. Thanks for listening to this episode of Plain Talk. If you have any ideas for a future Plain Talk episode, please go to the Contact Us page at plaintalk.ca and send in your idea. Don't forget to like us at plaintalk.ca, our Facebook and LinkedIn pages, and this podcast. And never stop living the dream.